name is Evan Meyer, and you're listening to the Undomesticate Podcast, a show where we explore how to deprogram domestication, restore the health of our body, mind, and spirit, and return to our sovereign roots. Welcome to episode 12 of the Undomesticate Podcast, featuring David Sutcliffe. David is a somatic practitioner certified in core energetics and was trained at the Radical Aliveness Institute of Southern California and Institute of Core Energetics in New York City. He's been coaching, leading groups, workshops, and trainings since 2011. But before all the work he does today, Dave was an actor. And he was an actor best known for his role in the TV series Gilmore Girls, and he was even on an episode of Friends, so pretty big time dude. I became interested in Dave's work after watching his recent interview with the one and only Andrew Tate, which has over 4.4 million views on YouTube. David's an interesting cat, and we covered a lot in this interview. It nearly spans two hours. We cover everything including David's journey from Hollywood actor to agent of transformation, his disastrous four-month marriage, healing his relationship with the feminine, and how he navigates intimate relationships today why we need to be fully expressed in this world, the art of holding transference and projection from other people when leading deep transformational work, David's interview with Andrew Tate and why people like Tate are necessary voices in the world, the danger of being a nice guy and the importance of celebrating differences between men and women, and so much more. Now this interview was hilarious. David is just such a likable, thoughtful, and deep thinker. It's definitely full of some controversial opinions, and near the end we kind of veer into the conspiratorial, but I think anyone listening with an open mind will really appreciate David's journey and outlook on life. And hey, before we jump in, I just want to let you know that this episode is a great watch on YouTube. And if you do end up watching it there, don't forget to subscribe, because I want to keep this movement growing. And I also have a ton of great content on YouTube that you won't find anywhere else. All right. That's enough of that. Let's get into episode 12 with David Sutcliffe. Where in Ontario are you from? I grew up in Grimsby. Okay, yeah. In St. Catharines. Grimsby well. You my do? Bro- my brother lived there. Yeah. Really? My brother raised his two kids there for the first like five or six years of their lives. Oh. Yeah, like my dad's Hamilton, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. not too far. And I used to do uh, landscaping around that area when I really? was in high school, like summer job. I would, I had a... I worked for a company that was contracted by uh, the city of Hamilton, and so we'd come into gr- the the guy that I worked for lived in Grimsby too. So we we just like cut the like the medians and yeah. the ditches and yeah. everything that like was kind of the responsibility of the city. So yeah. I was traveling, driving a, a truck all around Hamilton and Grimsby wow. area growing up. And yeah, I grew, I loved it. I mean, it was like fifteen, sixteen thousand when I grew up, small town. Totally. And- you know, it was a free-range childhood, and you know the escarpment there. So lots of time in the woods, climbing mountains, it was playing a beautiful war. area, beautiful the land of waterfalls or whatever. I think they say there's more waterfalls there than like anywhere else in North America. And, like, yeah, concentrated. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up. Yeah, you're just hiking to the woods. There's a river. There's a waterfall. You're you know you're diving into the pond and yeah. all of that stuff. My just, grandma lived on Upper Ottawa, if you, right on the, up the escarpment. Okay, kind of that main strip up there. And yeah, I used to go there all the time when I was a kid. So yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful part of the world. I miss it. Do you? Yeah, yeah, I miss Niagara. Like I, I don't miss Canada. Yeah, I was just there this past weekend, it's, and uh, it's lame. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> fucking you guys. You're lame. You fucking you obey. It's weak. I don't respect it. I'm sorry. It's just I can't get with it. That's why I left. Did you leave like before the whole 
COVID and all that kind of stuff? No, I left a long, years long, and years long ago. time so ago. What was lame about it then? Like, what did you find lame? Okay, recently or back well, in the back day? Back in the, like, what? Okay, so here's... Because you were acting. So yeah, I was I an fig- actor. I figured you went to LA to, to act, but did you leave Canada... Like for other I reasons? couldn't get any fucking. I couldn't get work in Canada. Of course, I mean, yeah. I you was want to getting, be on Canadian TV anyway. Really, too much. <laughs> I know you did I, some, but, but li- listen, <laughs> I was trying to get a fucking job, any kind of job. I was just getting in like TV commercials and bit parts here and there, and I was getting old, you know, twenty seven. And then I right. had a couple of friends who were doing indie movies, and I did one, or I did two, and then in one I was the lead, and you know, it was my first time in front of the camera, really. Yeah. Uh, see, I, you know, going for it and, and, and cutting my teeth and, um, and then I watched it and I was like, God damn, I'm fucking good. Yeah. Why am I not fucking working? So I went to New York and literally overnight I was like in demand on American television, like right away. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what that's about. Like what, what, why did I not get any action in Canada? There was a mentality, I think. My mother's American and she's mm. from New York. Okay. And she's bold and she's nice. loud. And nice. So it was easy for you to make the move then. You very. Know, well, I had dual citizenship. Yeah. 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 Listen, I love Canada. I love Canadians that grew up there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I root for the, you know, in the Olympics for the hockey team. All of that. Of very proud. Yeah. However, uh, there is a shadow there. They're masochists. They love to suffer. Mm. And uh, <laughs> they, they, if you get too tall, you know, they cut the tall poppy down. That's what a lot of my Australian friends say too. They're like, man, it's crabs in a bucket here. That's why really? they had to get out. They're, yeah, it must be something with this, the yeah. the crown. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. This, this dispersion. Yeah, Nick, the, the other guy we run our company with, um, says the same thing, man. He's like, I had to leave. It was crabs in a bucket, man. He moved to, to Berlin and he's kind of hopping around Europe. But yeah. He had to get out because he just felt like any time... You tried to do something great. People would be there. Even your friends, your family, whoever the closest yeah. people to you would just try to pull you back down to that. Ah, I didn't. I didn't experience that entropy in Canada. I had different reasons for leaving. But maybe I should just say, by the way, welcome to the Undomesticate Podcast. <laughs> we're, si- we're sitting here with David Sutcliffe, um, who we just met, connected you with you, and followed you uh, online not that long ago. Actually, just really liked what you're up to. Of course. Uh, Andrew Tate and all that kind of stuff yeah. gave you some pretty big exposure. And I think that's actually where I came across you initially. And then through the grapevine, we have all these different connections. Um, but yeah, in really interesting past. Uh, of course, like we're speaking about, you have the, the acting history, right? Um, Gilmore Girls was like a big thing for you. And uh, I remember <laughs> the only time I ever watched Gilmore Girls, not really my demographic or like show <laughs> yeah. to watch, but I was... In on vacation, I must have been fourteen or fifteen, so eighteen, you know, twenty years ago, really. I think that was around the time it was. Yeah, was it that long yeah, two thousand yeah. to two thousand seven. It was on the air. Seven, yeah. So I was probably two thousand four, two thousand five, or something, and uh, I was deathly ill. We were at a resort in Mexico, and I was I got super duper sick. Like I was getting injections from the doctor from the resort doctor. Cause my fever was just like so high. I was not doing well. And all the only English thing that was on was Gilmore girls in my hotel room. Cause I couldn't go outside. I couldn't do anything. My whole family is out there like enjoying this resort. I think we're in Cancun. And so I just, it was on like repeat all day for whatever reason. So I just <laughs> laid there and watched the Gilmore girls. Um, don't know if I ever saw you on it, but anyway, now you're doing, you know, this work we were just talking about, kind of the psychosomatic work, running workshops. Um, and yeah, just listening to some of your content and the podcast, your podcast and you on others. 
really interesting, just that transition that you made from that world uh, into kind of this, I don't want to use the word personal development, maybe spiritual development or, or kind of... I don't know. When did the therapist part come into all of this? Um, well... I was always interested in therapy. A lot of actors go to therapy, you know, part <laughs> of the course, reason, because yeah. you know, you're, you know, most of them are pretty neurotic, but you're also part of being an actor is you really have to be in touch with and understand your emotions. I mean, that's what you're working with all the time. So, um, I started going to therapy in my early or mid twenties, let's say, mm-hmm. and immediately, um, tried out all different kinds of therapy. I was just hooked right away and uh found gestalt therapy and that was really powerful found finally found a good uh, kind of a traditional uh psychotherapist but uh we just grooved and i did a year with him and really started to understand the the base basic concept that things happened in my childhood and and i was acting out uh as an adult because of those things that had happened to me what what was it do you think that like really led you to therapy was there a particular issue that you're happy in your life or pattern that was emerging at first i i don't know i just had an intuition that there was something about myself i didn't understand Mm -hmm. and i didn't like that feeling yeah uh i wanted to to know my own mind what what was it do you think that like really led you to therapy was there a particular issue that you're happy in your life or pattern that was emerging I, I, I didn't trust my motivations. There was fights that I was having with, with girlfriends that mm-hmm. I could just feel there was something off. And, and then when I really started to get into it, it was in my, I think I was 30 or 31 and I'd made, I, I got involved with a woman and we got married and split after four months. And it was like coming out of a, a, a stupor. I, yeah, you're stumbling out like, what yeah, the fuck like, just happened what there? the fuck just happened? Yeah. What did I do? Like, I knew I was crazy. Like, yep. I knew there was something <laughs> off. <laughs> and and then my I, I went from that relationship right into another relationship, which I knew was a mistake, but Classic. I did it anyway. Yep. And we were in the middle of a fight. And um, I was, you know, you do this and you do that and blaming her and judging That's her true. and all that stuff. And I realized that uh, everything that I was saying to her, I had said to every girlfriend that I'd ever had. Mm. And it was the exact same words. It wasn't just the, the, the it was like a script. Yeah. It was like a script. <laughs> exactly. What's the common denominator here? I wonder. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I knew that I was in a loop and it scared me. And so that's when I got serious about it uh, because I was also having some success and that's even scarier mm-hmm. because you're successful as an actor. So you're in the public eye um, there's a lot of pressure on you. You have like a management team around you. You don't want to feel like you're fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. You want to feel like you have your, your shit together. And I had this idea of myself that I, I did have my shit together. And for a lot of my life I did. Um, but once it was really, once I got successful, that things started to unravel, which yeah. is how it works, right? Mm-hmm. The pressure is on. I've been pursuing this thing unconsciously for, um, reasons that were not fully aligned with my uh, soul, let's say. Uh, there was a kind of neurotic impulse, I think a desire to be seen. I wasn't seen by my mother. My dad wasn't around. So it's like, you know, if I become an actor, um, I'm going to be seen and loved and, and appreciated in the way that I wasn't as a child. And then once I got that 
and I didn't get the thing that I wanted that I thought I was going to get, then it started to unravel. What's up, y'all? I hope you're enjoying this episode with David. Just wanted to jump in here and let you know about another men's retreat that we're running with our company, 13 Pines, Ascend. Ascent is a four-day initiation into the 13 Pines Way, and we're committed to creating conscious masculine leaders in the world. So if you're a man who wants to dial in his purpose, his relationships, his health, his wealth, and build a powerful brotherhood of good, powerful, conscious men doing big things in the world, join us from April 26th to 29th, just outside of Austin, Texas. We've rented a beautiful retreat center in Texas Hill Country, and we're going to be diving deep on the practices, the tools, the tactics that transform men into capable and conscious leaders. The ticket price includes beautiful accommodations, two locally sourced organic meals a day, and the food is incredible. We just did a tasting party with the chefs and it was out of this world. It's gonna have sacred counsel, breath work, embodiment practices, and just so much more. It's really hard to explain unless you come to one of these things, the transformation that happens. You're also going to receive a free four-month membership to The Lodge, which is our growing online men's community. And you're going to get all of this for only $1,249 if you register before March 1st. After that, the prices go up, so jump on the early bird today. If you're sick of going it alone and you want to learn from men who have walked the path and have over 40 years of combined transformational experience, join us at Ascent. Go to www.13pines.com forward slash ascent today and register again that's 13pines.com that's 13 spelled out forward slash ascent and register today we will see you there all right let's get back to the episode with david sutcliffe and that was painful to face Mm -hmm. and that was like so you got into that kind of stuff long before you transitioned into yeah yeah i was i was pretty serious into therapy while i was still uh pursuing acting and and working and but it was in uh, 35 when I actually had the most success that I had as an actor. I, I, I just came came off a TV series. I had two movies coming out. Um, I was the voice of Visa. You know, I, I was hitting everywhere. Yeah. Right? Um, had like a movie star girlfriend. It was all perfect. New house that I was renovating, and. Then my TV series got canceled, and then this woman that I was with, she dumped me. And then a week later in the tabloids, she was kissing some other dude. Mm. And I'd never had the experience of being dumped like that. And it just, the whole fucking thing took me down. And, and, And there was a kind of relief to it, oddly. Like, you know when you get cracked open, it, there was something that was like, ah, there's some freedom. There's some freedom available. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you didn't know you needed, I didn't, Maybe you know, didn't know how conta- like not free you were. I exactly. Guess. And yeah. I didn't, I, you, it's hard to make sense when you, you have everything that you want and everybody outside looking in is thinks you have it all. Um, and you're not happy or things don't feel quite right. It's hard to make sense of that. I mean, I remember sitting on the set of friends this was before I really uh, had some success, but it was right at the beginning. And um, oh, my guest star and friends, like oh, I'm hanging out with you know the whole crew in the yeah. in the coffee shop. And at the time, they were making like I think seven hundred fifty thousand an episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And yeah. you're sitting there, and you know I'm, I'm I kind of looked like them, and I I was that kind of actor, a kind of romantic comedy. Uh, actor and leading man and I thought well if I keep going on the track that I'm on something like this would be the pinnacle for me 
this is what I'm aiming at. And I just thought, I don't want this. I don't want to, I don't, I don't like this. I, I didn't like the vibe of it. I mean, they were all great, but there was something of just, there was something about it didn't resonate with me. And that was a scary thought. I'm like, well, why don't I, why don't I want this? Is, is that, is that something deep inside me? Was it's not that resonating? particular, that particular like scene or like acting on a meta level in general? You well, that, to- that I, it was, it was what it represented. Yeah. Right. That kind of success, that kind of fame, that right. kind of money, like what was there? There yeah. was something like, I don't want that. And I, the, of course, I was like, am I just afraid of success? Is this some kind of self-sabotage mechanism? I don't know. Because the success I had as an actor was like Gilmore Girls, you know, it was a big show and I had a, a like a, a major role on it, but I was reoccurring. Mm-hmm. I was the dad, but I wasn't there all the time. So there was this pattern also in my career where I wasn't, I didn't commit, <laughs> I didn't commit. It was always like, I didn't want to sign on to a TV show. I mean, I did, but they would last a year or yeah. two and some then I'd be out. didn't kind of. I didn't. Level. And, yeah. I, and, and I started to notice that as well. Like what, what is, I'm not really committing here. What is that? And, uh, and it was when I was 35 after this, uh, you know, when the shit hit the fan, this woman dumped me, my show was canceled. That's, that's when I, I, I went up to the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California and worked with this woman named Ann Bradney. Mm-hmm. She was a cornergetics, uh, practitioner. She calls her workshop workshops, radical liveness, but I'd already been doing cornergetics work with this dude in Toronto when I was back there. How old were you when you went to the 30, 35, 35, mm-hmm. that. Yeah. all, everything was happening for me. And, uh, yeah, I just got totally rocked. Um, deeply cathartic experience. Like unlike anything, you know, I'd had a lot of therapy at that point, but nothing like this. I mean, I went, just went all the way into my rage and my pain and fear and just in an embodied way, it all came through. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, I experienced the whole arc of that and the arc of healing. And I, I understood it in obviously in an an embodied way. And there was something about the way this woman was working that I was uh, entranced by. And I came away thinking like, I want to know what she knows and be able to do what she does. And that was it. I mean, that was the beginning of the end of my acting career. Really? Uh, I didn't, I didn't give it up. I mean, I, I, but two, two years later, she started a year, two years later, she started a training program and she was teaching at the Institute out in New York. She started her own Institute in LA, moved to LA and I signed up. So it was like five modules a year and I'd have to, you know, it was like a Thursday to Sunday. And so I just sent the dates to my agent and I said, I'm not like available. available. So whatever work I have, like, you know, you got to negotiate these dates off for me, even if it's a TV series, you know, and it, it, it was reasonable, but I was making that commitment, right? Um, making that the priority. And when I graduated, uh, I didn't, I didn't think I wanted to be a, a therapist necessarily, but I wanted to learn the skills that she had, which was really facilitating groups. That, that was the thing that interested me. I mean, obviously you have to have that kind of, that, that knowledge of the, of the psychology, be able to do that. Um, but it was really something about group dynamics. And I thought the skills that she has, uh, to, to be able to navigate these groups of people and take them into total fucking chaos 
and people are freaking out, losing their minds, screaming and yelling. And she's totally relaxed in the middle of this and able to see the threat, able to see the place where there's cohesion and just gently guide it there. Um, but without any demand, without any force, just like, like just a master. Like it mm-hmm. was just a ma- like she was a genius. Very feminine way of leading too. Yeah. Ex- like, yes. Yeah. Very feminine. And I loved it. I yeah. loved the chaos. I loved the madness of it. So, um, for whatever reason, yeah, I was drawn to that. I was drawn to her. I was drawn to her style. And, um, and so at the end of her program, you know, I could feel like, I knew I'd learned a lot and I was getting a lot of feedback from people like, yeah, you're, you know, you're, you got some game here. You got some skills. Yeah. I got some skills, you know, and I knew it. I knew it. I was like, I can do this. And then I got a show in Toronto. Uh, I went there to shoot. And in the off season, I, I, I got my first studio in Toronto. I just stayed there and uh, for three years and uh, started running groups and, built a community and there was a little, there was a little scene there. People knew about the work. And so I was the first one really there practicing, uh, or holding groups. And so all of a sudden, almost overnight, I was, I had capacity. I was running workshops once a month, every six weeks, weekend workshops. And, you know, they were full and I had three groups, you know, running, uh, weekly groups running. So I was just getting my reps in over and over and over Mm -hmm. again for three years. And, and yeah, people kept saying to me, you know, I think this is what you're supposed to be doing, bro. What do you think, you know, it's so common. I work with men and have so many conversations, especially guys that haven't quite reached that echelon of success. And I'm pretty convinced, not that I've had maybe nearly obviously the experience that you've had working in Hollywood and, and, and being one of the very, very small percentage of people that can actually make that work and at a young age too and reach that kind of pinnacle. I mean, to be on the set of Friends or, or some of these big network shows, some of the most famous TV of all time and realize like, oh, you know what? This isn't it. Like, I know you said like something just didn't feel right. Like what was that versus whatever filled you up by offering this more kind of intimate workshop work? Like what was, what were you getting offering people these experiences that you weren't getting in, in acting? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, freedom. I I didn't like the restriction that the acting put on me. Mm -hmm. It was movies are fun when there's a little bit more you're creating in real time. Television is like you're working at a factory. The script comes down. You got to stay on the script whether it's well-written or not, because that's gone through a whole approval process. And here's your mark, there's the light, there's the camera, say your line. Like, it, it wasn't that exciting for me. I got into it because I wanted to, you know, connect and be in my emotions and act, play these crazy scenes and go somewhere and be in the flow. And, you know, that's, TV does not lend itself to that. Right. Um, now, I will say Gilmore Girls, um, it did because it was extremely well written and the actors on the show were excellent. And so there were, there was a lot of freedom to play. Um, you had to stay in the structure of the script, but it, that was fine because it was, the writing was phenomenal. 
So that was actually quite satisfying and it was challenging and it was fun and it was edgy. And, you know, sometimes we walk away from scenes and just be like, what the fuck? Like that was, you know, that was alive. That was something happened there. And we were in something together and that, that was exciting. But, you know, something like Friends or a sitcom, uh, there's, there's, it takes, look, don't get me wrong. Those fucking people are geniuses. Mm -hmm. Matt LeBlanc is a fucking genius. Mm -hmm. They just die. Yes, I, th- he I just believe passed. so. I'm yeah, not I think he just died. It, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Sure he did. Watching those guys up close work, mm-hmm. I mean, they're 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 masterful. Um, but there's a kind, of, it's a kind of a craft to it, right? And I, and which is great. I just wasn't interested in that. I could kind of do it, but I just wasn't interested. Uh, I wanted to be, I don't know, free, fully. I wanted to be, like, yeah, fully self-expressed. I wanted to be wild. I wanted to be unpredictable. The filmmakers that I loved that I watched was like the John Cassavetes, you know, mm. which were these crazy indie films that felt like documentaries, but they weren't. And that's the thing that I wanted to do. But, you know, I went to ho- Hollywood. Or, well, first I went to New York and, mm. and all of a sudden it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm just trying to get a fucking job. And mm. all of a sudden I'm in TV land. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just happy to be able to work. And then, but there was like, eh, this isn't really what I'm looking for. And when I went to that workshop, up at Esalen with Ann, it was like, this is it. This is the freedom. Like, there's no, I can go as far as I want. There's no limit here. Um, I can go as deep as, as you know, my limit. And that was exciting. And I, it was a place where I didn't have to hold back anything. Now, in part, is because she's a masterful facilitator and creates that kind of safety. But that was the thing that I loved about particularly hockey, right? Like Were I grew you a up hockey in a, player? I was a hockey player, yeah. yeah. And so that was a place where I felt I could let it all out and just be an animal. I had a lot of aggression. Yeah. I had a lot of rage, too, because of my childhood. And I just felt like that's where I could be free. And I, I just couldn't get that feeling of freedom. And maybe it was just I didn't have the courage to do it, you know, as an actor. Um. But there was something about when I discovered this work, it's like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. This is this is where I feel the most free and alive. And that that's actually what I want. Well, it makes sense, too, to go from something like, yeah, getting to acting because of this idea of expression and this idea of, um, yeah, being able to really emote and be in things fully and then going to a workshop that's just all about, like, self-expression but the allowance to be completely unhinged in it yeah like you can't really i imagine i'm not an actor but you can't just you have you're you're following the the scene like there's a certain level of emotion that's available and then beyond that it's it's it would be yeah you 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 have to conform to the story you're telling the story you're telling the story Yeah, yeah 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 and it's interesting you bring this this piece freedom in because i've been here in austin for the last three days uh with my team, the guys at 13 Pines and we're, we're talking, we recorded a few podcasts the last couple of days and this it, it's when you're, when you get in touch with that, that masculine core, it's all about freedom. Yeah. Like freedom, the, you know, it's why so many men want to get into business, right? It's like, I just want the freedom to do things the way I do them when I do them on my own terms and like no cap to the money, no cap to the expression, no cap to the creativity, right? We always yearn for that. Like, man, it's like, and the same thing with with hockey, right? It's like I just want that full capacity to bring all of me. Yes. And there's something that nourishes. I think particularly, I think all people for sure want to be fully self-expressed. I mean, so much of the work is 
if I really distilled down the work that I do with people, it's like just to bring them into that full self-expression, right? Through many different avenues, you know, uh, the embodiment, the shadow work, the, you know, working through old childhood wounds and stuff like that, because all of that kind of holds us back <clears throat> from being fully expressed in the world. But, um, yeah, just that piece around, like, we seek so many ways in our lives, so many avenues to what we think will bring us freedom. And, and one thing that's unique about you with versus a lot of people that I've talked to is like, you've been in what many people from the outside would see as kind of like the pinnacle of someone that's free in some regard. Do you yeah. know what I mean? In terms of yeah, like what you accomplished and like where you went is like, Oh, Hollywood and all that kind of stuff, right. Yeah. That comes with that and the money and the, you know, and, and relationship and everything that you were able to create. Yet there is some part of you that's like, actually, this is not, this isn't, like this isn't freedom. No. Fully. No. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I went back, I think, I don't know when it was, maybe 10 years ago. I mean, I, I, I left LA in, uh, 2012. I mean, I, I ended up going back to LA, but, but not really as an actor, but I, I maybe it was like 2015 or 2016. I went to some party, some, uh, Emmy party with my manager and I hadn't been to a party in a long time like that, you know, an industry party. And, uh, <laughs> I went with the guy, what's the kid from the flash? I went with him. It was just like, it was it, the flash hadn't premiered yet. And, uh, he was a young guy and he was, cause we had the same manager. It was kind of a moment cause he, you, everybody knew this kid, kid was about to take off. And, uh, just to see that and also be kind of separate from it and just like, oh yeah, I don't want that, mm -hmm. but good for him. He's a, but also like, uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but I went to this party and I saw a lot of people that I knew obviously, and people that are, you know, very successful and award-winning actors and, you know, getting a conversation like, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? You're not around. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I got out, I'm doing this now. And my thought was that they're going to think less of me. Mm. They're going to think that I couldn't hack it. They're going to think, you know, I didn't make it. And everyone was like, oh man, you got out. And I was like shocked. They're like, good for you. And that's when I really realized like the, the courage of my choice, um, Absolutely. that they felt locked in. They felt trapped in this position that they were in, even though they were having this massive success, you are locked in particularly as an actor, because you're famous. Once you're famous, like really famous, yeah. that's it. It's over. Ben Affleck can't just stop being an actor and decide to do something totally different. He's famous. He can't walk the streets, right? Yeah. So I never had quite that level of fame. I had a, you know, I had enough, um, you know, where I get, I get recognized almost every day, but as time goes by now, I get the big gray beard. <laughs> People don't really recognize me anymore. Right. But, um, but I, I fortunately, and, and maybe that was some by design unconsciously, uh, I didn't allow myself to get, to get quite that famous. I didn't go for it in that way. And so I, I've been able to retain some, some freedom. And, but at the time, of course, you know, people are like, have you lost your fucking mind? You're doing this like weird therapy, cornergetics. What do you, what is that? Is this a cult you're in? Like, why are you doing this? And, uh, I had a lot of self judgment and doubt and fear about it, but, uh, you know, I, I, what I would say to people was, listen, when I decided to become an actor, everybody told me I was fucking crazy. 
It's crazy. I'm going to go to Hollywood and be an actor. It's like, good luck, buddy. Um, But I was following something. I had an intuition. And uh, for whatever reason, from an early age, I just made a decision, maybe about 25, that I was like, I was going to follow my instincts, my impulses. I wasn't going to strategize or rationalize. I was going to follow what, where I felt guided. And so I made that commitment. And so when I suddenly decided like, this is where I want to go, I, I, that's what I did. And, uh, it didn't feel, I understand that is it, and it is courageous and it did take courage, but like in a way it's just like, well, no, I'm just following. Yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm just following what I wanted. I'm just doing what I want to do. Absolutely. I've lived a different, like my path has been anything but linear in my life and I've jumped all around to all these different things and people are always like, wow, you just have like reckless abandon. Like you just have so (laughs) much courage. I'm like, do I? I don't know. I just follow the impulse. I just follow that, you know, I I get that intuitive fit and I say, I want to do this for a bit. And then there's something that's completely a tangential like doesn't even make sense in a linear fashion of like you know building a life that yeah. people often think this thing and then you put this thing on top and it's like mine's kind of more like a spider web it's all over the place and I've always just done that I've always just followed that impulse because for me and maybe you uh, you resonate with this it's like I can't be any other way because it kill it will kill me like yeah. it, it kills some part of me if I'm doing something that just doesn't feel like I want to be doing it anymore yeah and 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 yeah, I mean, sometimes that can, maybe there's a shadow aspect to that maybe, but like oftentimes I just think it's when we're fully sensitive and in touch and aligned with the integrity of our heart or the integrity of our soul, like we can't sustain very long things that just don't resonate with us anymore. And I think what happens, especially when people find a lot of success, like, you know, Hollywood's one example is you that was like everything that you thought you wanted and then Mm -hmm. you get there and then you feel like, man, this is what I wanted. And you, it's like an ego battle where you're like, I can't let this go because this is what I wanted. Yeah. But maybe it's not what you want anymore. Right. And so many people that I, I I work with getting back to that piece, it's like, they get to this, like, man, this is everything I wanted. And now I can't leave it because it's everything I wanted. Yeah. But is it everything you want now? Yeah. I mean, like is everything you want today? No, I would do, what would you be doing if you could do anything and you just let go of the story of like, there's kind of this like sunk cost fallacy yeah. that people live with, right? Where to do something totally, to just take like a right turn and do something totally different seems obscene. But for me, and I can only speak for myself, and it sounds like this might be similar to you. It's like I would start over again and and start from square one if it meant that I kept with that integrity of like following that impulse. That's far more important than whatever success I've built in my life. Yeah. Would you say the same thing? Yeah, I would, <clears throat> I would agree with you totally. I mean, I, and it is interesting to to consider like the shadow impulse. Like, is is there a place where I'm afraid to commit? I think that was true for me. I think there mm-hmm. was some some shadow, um, and but everything I did, I was. It wasn't like I was fifty fifty, but it'd be like eighty five. You know, even with this work, like there's mm-hmm. a part of me that's like I'm always like I don't want to fucking do this anymore. <laughs> I'm fucking, I hate this shit. I like, get it. <laughs> this is my group. They were like, do you, uh, do you, like this last weekend, they were asking me, uh, um, do, do you like us? I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they wanted, they kind of wanted to know like how I felt about them. They're like, do you, do you like, did you like doing this? I'm like, well, this is my job. 
And sometimes I want to go to work and sometimes I don't want to go to work. Sometimes I hate my job. Like it's like, it's just part of it. And I I think, yeah, it would be weird if you didn't feel that. Exactly. Yeah. But, but my commitment was when I go to work, I go to fucking work. Like I don't fuck around. Just I don't have to be in love with it and that it's not sacred. Uh, I mean, there's sacred elements to it, to, to all of this work, but it's not precious. Like that's how I, I think about uh, all of this now. And, and I think part of that is a function of age. You know, you get a little bit older and you just see like some perspective, every, everything's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everything's one thing. It's just a different expression. Your people are playing out different dramas in different ways. And it, it, it's about the thing, but it's about something else. And so th- that's sort of where I'm at. It doesn't really matter what you do. Um, what does matter in all of that then? Just being committed to it and just like, um, finding your deepest expression in that thing, you know, but you can find it in anywhere. I mean, you should follow whatever it is you're passionate about, but like, um, you can, you can find God anywhere Mm -hmm. in anything, you Mm -hmm. know, you can be a blacksmith and, and, and find God in that. And, and I love those guys. I did, uh, when I was in university, I did a construction job with the summer for the summer. And my foreman was, the way he would talk about grading asphalt, it was just like, it was like a spiritual. And mm-hmm. it, it, there was a, he he loved it. Mm-hmm. And he was so into it. And uh, I thought, this guy's fucking awesome. Like, yeah. he's not a regular construction worker kind of guy, or at least the the, the way you'd think about Going him. He had a deep, yeah. like, relationship to his work. And I I respected it. I, I, I appreciated that. But, um yeah, I forget what exactly was your original question. Like, you know, you getting what you want. I don't know. You know, it's just be careful. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I think one thing that I mentioned is like, you know, it's not important whether I love it or not. It's just important that I'm committed through it. Yeah, I'm committed. Yeah. Right? And then there's a piece around. Yeah, this this piece around passion, right? It's like, oh people oftentimes want to find their passion. They come to workshops or their purpose or whatever, especially me. I know I need a purpose. I want to find a purpose, but it's kind of that piece. It's like, well, if nothing is sacred, then everything can be sacred as well. Right. right? And so you can kind of infuse anything that you do with that sacred quality, whether you're leveling asphalt or, you know, a blacksmith or, or anything that you do or something even more, obviously traditionally what would feel sacred and spiritual and ceremony and all these kind of things. But, uh, I often think that like, you had a natural knack for this type of work, right? You came from that. Yes. You, like obviously a natural knack for acting, but also for this facilitation work, which probably inspired some passion in you because we like to create and do things that we're good at and that we're successful at and that the, the world gives us feedback from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you like to feel like you you have the, the capacity for some kind of mastery in the thing that you're doing. And, and I was a good actor. I mean, I knew I was good. And, and but I also, you know, once I started working with people who are really good, like Lauren Graham or Jennifer Beals or Matthew Modine, I was like, I'm not that good. Mm-hmm. Like these guys are fucking, I can't quite compete with that. I can stay in the scene with them. I'm not going to get lost. I'm not going to look out of place. But they're, they have a different relationship with it. And um, I don't feel that way about the work that I do. Like, I feel like I'm in my zone of genius. And obviously that that feels good, you know. Um, 
as opposed to and I'm you know uh, ref- referencing the the Gay Hendrix book The Big Leap which I think mm-hmm. is is a classic that everybody should read but o- often we stay in our zone of excellence right and uh, which is where I was as an actor but like yeah this this work I knew I knew there was a kind of genius that I had like I could see things and I and I understood things and the interventions that I would make and I was willing to take huge risks that and people would uh, people were mad at me all the time like m- m- usually the first day of my workshop or the second morning of my workshop is usually people telling me that I did everything wrong or they're not happy the people or they're that frustrated. Are coming here are saying you did <laughs> yeah. Wrong. yeah they're, is, they're 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 stuff. they're agitated, yeah. right? And because that's what I'm doing and then usually by the end of it they're they get it, right? Yeah. But um um I, I, I don't mind that. Like I don't it, like that kind of transference is interesting to me and it's an edge, right? You know, I'm, listen, I come into the room, I'm kind of a, a, a bros bro and, uh, but you know, gray beard. And I'm also used to be a famous actor and then they've seen me interview Andrew Tate. There's so much projection coming at me. Nobody sees me and it's positive and negative, but in both cases, it's, it's, there's disappointment. And, um, and I'm everybody's dad on some level. And so all of their dad shit gets projected onto me and the challenge to be able to hold that, that transference, to not take it personally, to, to, and then to work with them from that place and then stay on point, stay on mission and gently guide them all the way through to the end, knowing that they're not going to see me, knowing that they're going to judge me, knowing that they think I'm an asshole or, or whatever they think, or they, they, they love me but that's also its own distortion <laughs> and to, to, to walk them through that process and, and hold on to myself, like hold on to my goodness and, and that I know who I am, even when like the world that I'm living in and that for that weekend or whatever, that they don't see me like that, that to me, that's the master game because I don't need to be seen. I don't need to be understood. I don't need to be known. Right. I know myself. And that practice, I, I, I fucking love it. It's hard. It's because I want to be seen. I of want, course. I want to be like, Oh my God, you're amazing. I love you. Of totally. course. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but it's about you though. You yeah. Know but I mean? then I, am I serving, yeah. you know, am I really serving? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's really what my work is now. And, and I think as you get old and I've proven myself, right? Like I've had success in the world, so I don't really have anything to prove to anyone or to myself. So now it's just like, you know, 54, kind of get into your wise man years and, you know, guys like you younger, it's like you're at a different phase of your life. So for me, I want to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, of course. No, no, no. It's not that. I think though. But you're building. You know what I mean? That that kind of warrior, like prince phase, you know what I mean? About the world, like, you know, trying to make shit happen. Yeah, you want to conquer the world. Fighting my battles for sure. Yeah. And and noticing, uh, being a a fellow facilitator who runs retreats, who works with people in these vulnerable states and receives a lot of that projection, um, the humility that it takes as well because it's not the me show. And it's there's a lot of people that get into... uh, leadership roles and things like that because they want to be seen as leader and look at me and look right. at what I can create and look at the transformation I can create. Yeah. And look how good you feel now after this. And like, that's so, to me, it's so repulsive. Yeah. Right. Cause you can really feel that where it's like, of course I want to own 
like my power and I want to be like, yeah, I, I can make shit happen and I can do stuff. And like, it's not about me. Yeah. Right. And even the work I'm and perhaps you experience this as well. Like sometimes the risk that I take, like it's not even me. It's like whatever is just coming through yeah. in that moment. Well, I say something, I drop something in, you know what I trust mean? Trust your impulse. Trust follow, the gotta impulse. Follow my impulse. That's my obligation. Follow, that's my responsibility. Absolutely. And that's really where a lot of the magic is created that I think leads to such deep experiences for people and like it's not about me and like I don't even I try to like relinquish ownership of like that was my impulse it's like man I don't know where that came yeah. from I, this thing came through me and a thought and and all of a sudden it's just like I put it out into the world or I put it out into the space and then something new was created and I think what you're saying is or what I heard you saying before was when you were doing these workshops first learning this art part of that mastery is like there's a there's a collective consciousness there's a collective experience happening even when people are having their individual experiences and dropping things that are coming because it's coming up through that collective experience and kind of you're kind of just weaving the story of yeah. of, of the experience that's happening and uh and like that for me is is a big part of that mastery and it's also just just yeah letting go of it being about us right and, and yeah. I know like you're a few years older do you have do you have a family I don't know this or not no no I, I do you, don't do you want kids or uh well I'm getting married in April to a woman who yeah I think we're gonna try yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know no, we'll see good. what happens yeah, yeah. I don't know man <laughs> you look spry I, uh, I'll be fine but it, there is like uh, I wish I'd you know 10 years ago but it, I you know I'm with a great gal yeah and uh yeah I think we're gonna try and and hopefully that'll happen Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, but I've been single for a long... I was single for a long time. I mean, once I got into this work, I kind of went into monk mode for... Intentionally. Uh, no, it just sort of <laughs> happened. I was just yeah. like, when was the last time I got laid? I was like, I remember it was like, I started doing the math and I was like, eh. it's like, fucking, it's 18 months. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. you know, two years and at one point, and then an, I had a two-year span and then another 18-month span over the course of 12 years. And I had a, I had a couple... You know, girlfriends in there, but nothing really. So I was. What do you think that was? Um, I think I had like mild sex addiction that I was trying to overcome. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in Hollywood and I was young and I had, uh, you know, on television and I had money. And three, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Not that, not that I acted it out that much to be honest but I had it, it was like I was thinking about it all the time I was mm-hmm. thinking about getting laid all the fucking time mm-hmm. and I knew that that was a problem um, and I also knew somewhere that I was not it, it, I my radar or my, what I was attracted to in a woman was not good um, like the qualities the, that you're attracted yeah, to. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, it was, and I, and I, you know, what, what's the, the, the sirens they have, they, they tie you to the mast. Um, so you don't jump in the water cause the sirens are there trying to pull you in. Right. Mm-hmm. I was that guy. I needed to be tied up. Yeah. Um, because I had this strong pull, um, you know, and I, I, I'd work through it. It was, you know, obviously all like my mother stuff and I could go into all of that. But there was a compulsion. Um, obviously, there was something that was really painful in my childhood. There was something I was trying to resolve. There was a certain kind of woman that I was really like 
really drawn to and couldn't stay away and they were disasters for me not that these women in particular were like bad women or anything it was just the dynamic course was um not good and so i knew and because i'd been married um very very briefly and it was such a disaster and it was so fucking painful i think there was just a part of me that just shut it down and uh it was yeah it was a hard I was lonely. I was isolated. I was scared. I I was, you know, when you're in that unknown place, which I was, I was still acting, but not, you know, in that slow transition, but not even sure that I wanted to do this work. Exactly. Liminal space space for a long time. And it was uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, I touched a lot of different parts of me, but looking back at it now, yeah, those were my, my monk years. And I remember making the decision, it's actually when I moved to Austin that, you know, I had to come out of the, you got to come out of the cave at some point or down from the mountain. You can't, you can't just stay, uh, in that, in your inner world forever. Um, cause I was living up, I left LA and moved up to Idlewild which is like a mountain town. Yeah, so you're literally up in the mountain. Up in the mountains, which is when COVID hit, so that was kind of perfect. And I started seeing this woman um, she was like that I knew from L.A., and she would come visit me, but it was sort of, she was coming out of something, and it was like, eh. And then when, when I moved to Austin, she was moving back to Miami, and then and I moved to Austin, basically, it was like, okay, I got I to gotta bring my work out more. I got I to gotta come back out into the world. Right. I can't be living up on a top of a mountain. I'm not, I'm not an old man ready to retire just yet. And then, um, yeah. And then I just realized like that woman, Diana, who's now my fiance, I was like, I think uh, that's a good woman. And, uh, so yeah, I reached out to her and like, I'm going to come visit you in Miami. And we've been together ever since and, and getting married in, in April. So, but yeah, it was a long, it was, it was a long fucking weird time where, yeah, I didn't know what was going on and felt, I think I felt a lot of shame. There was a lot of, yeah, I, yeah, a lot of shame, a lot of, uh, I don't know who I am, don't know what I'm doing, uh, anger, like confusion, allowing myself to be defined by those around me, right? Right by my my agents, my manager, by by Hollywood, yeah. and then I was also very impacted and, and persuaded by the work that I was doing, the school that I went to, which which was great. But looking back at it now, like like any institution, it had its own blind spots. There was things that it that it didn't see. And, uh, and I was just, I think sorting through all of that and I didn't feel reliable to myself. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't going to get involved in some relationship and, you know, get married again and go through all that pain. I think probably the simplest answer is I was avoiding pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting kind of now 
you're starting to work with men and you're doing this thing with muscle, which we were talking about before. And have you been working with men already exclusively in some regard? Yeah. So yeah, I've done, I've been doing men's and stuff. Right? Yeah. For, yeah. Since 2011, I've been, you know, not exclusively, but, but I've been working with, yeah, I do men's workshops, some men's groups. in your business. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. There, I've always noticed like, yeah, that mother wound, which I've experienced myself too. And kind of like, as you start to peel the layers on your psyche and like that thing I've had the same experience as this piece we get to this common denominator where it's like oh it's me it's not all these women that I'm, I'm yeah. dating and I'm attracting yeah. and I have the same problems oh, I keep dating the same woman and blah, 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 right and and we tend to to yeah project that that piece around our mother so any any man watching or listening to this like if you're experiencing these failed relationships or these relationship yeah. struggles over and over again and all the the shame and pain and all that that comes with that of like why can't I figure this out or you end up projecting or blaming them it's like looking at that wound around the mother is a big one it has been a big one for me I recently was in California I did the Hoffman process you're probably familiar with it maybe yeah yeah and it was a lot about that healing family of origin and forgiving and you know accepting the parent your parents just for the way that they were yeah right? and just like no what they say uh, nobody's or yeah, nobody's fault. Uh, sorry, uh, everybody's at fault. Nobody's to blame. Yeah, right. So like, yeah. yeah, they fucked up. They did things. They didn't show up in certain ways. They showed up great in other ways. But like, taking the blame out of the situation. But for me, even even in my most recent relationship, just noticing like, man, even after all the work that I've done, even after all this awareness, these like deep embedded patterns where I just want to avoid. I just want to hide. I just, yeah. it's, just, it's just easier to not be in a relationship because then I don't have to be with the confrontation That's right. of everything that comes up with that and like have to face it and have to work through it. And in fact, I was talking to a woman this morning about a recent relationship she got out of and like the guy was just straight up like, I don't want to do the work like you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. that, it, that it would require for us to be together. And uh, yeah, it's just so interesting that you share that because even after you know, you, you're a pretty self-aware dude, did lots of therapy, like, you know, was doing transformational work in the world. There's still these, these, I, th I think women can just be such, there's such potent mirrors for all the stuff that like, oh, but did you look at that? Yeah. You're doing this work in the world. Yeah. You're some hotshot facilitator and stuff, yeah. but have you looked at this? Right. And then all that stuff comes up around it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also, I think a lot of men didn't get a good role model in terms of the dynamic between the mother and the father, the masculine and the feminine. So it, I had no idea how to handle women or be with women or what my role was or what was okay, what was not okay. I mean, my dad wasn't around. So what happened, I de facto became the man, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I had this pressure on me, six, seven, eight, nine years old to meet my mother's need and I can't meet my mother's need. And so it creates a bind in me where like, I want to meet her need and I want to be her special boy that gives my ego some satisfaction, but some part of me knows that I can't. And so I'm in this state of, of helplessness and it's this pressure. So when I get involved in a relationship, all of that is present. I feel this pressure. Like I've got to be something for her. I've got to solve her problems and I can't, of course. And so that was the thing uh, that I was really working through. And it's still, it's present in my relationship now. Like I have to be super mindful of like not 
taking care of her or like mm-hmm. thinking like I, I feel the places where I get in distortion where I'm, I think she's thinking one thing and she's not. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in my history here. And she's got her own of course. stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I want to say to the men out there is like, listen, it's not, you don't, I think you don't solve the problem and then you're at zero and then everything's good. It's like, it's going to keep coming up again. Like all you can do is have awareness and humility around it. And we get, what's nice about my relationship is, and it took some time is that when we scrap, like there is this consciousness that somewhere, (laughs) you know, it takes, sometimes it takes a minute to come in, but it creates a little bit of safety that we know we're going to be able to get back to zero. We we know we're activated. We both know we're in our history. She's not seeing me. I'm not seeing her. It's not me versus her. It's her defense versus my defense. It's our wounded child's doing battle. Mm-hmm. And we have created enough structure and uh, awareness with each other that when we calm down, we're actually able to say, you know, what what happened for us and take responsibility for it. I think that's the best you can do, uh, you know, um, and I, I'm proud of that. Like, I'm proud that I was able to get to that place. Um, and I, the people that I know who are in long-term relationships, uh, 20, 25 years, that's what it is for them. they they, they go at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where the growth is. Right. And so it's a continual thing. And I think you know, especially if you look at Instagram, it's like, oh, we're happy all the time. We're in yeah. love. We look into each other's eyes. We're making love on the beach 24th. That's not what a fucking relationship is. That's not what it's meant to be. I'm not always 24-7, like, thinking, just like I was saying about work. Like, sometimes I'm just like, oh, fuck, man. I, I'm, I, I just don't want to be in the relationship. I'd rather just be free. Like, yeah. I just like, ah, fuck, I don't want the responsibility. But there's something like, no, I'm committed to this and this this is my responsibility. And if there's a need that I have, I need a little freedom, I need a little space, I'm going to, I'll ask for it. You know what I mean? And I've got a woman that's generally going to give it to me. She wants to give it to me. And so, but there's something beautiful about making that commitment and, and being self-responsible and then navigating your way through that. So in the places you don't feel free as a man, it's not your woman, it's you. You know, it's some belief, some image that you have. Where are the places you believe you can't be free and where did that come from? Because your woman wants you to be free. She's she's eroticized by your freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember being in a process with this guy, Warren Moe. He was one of my teachers and I was standing across from this woman doing this thing. And, and um, he said, I want you to look at her. You know, like that's not your mother over there. That's just, that's a woman. And I want you to look at her and I want you to say, I'm a free man. And I do what I want when I want. And I looked at him. I'm like, I can't fucking say that. He's like, you can. I was like, that seems so wrong to me. And I was like, so offensive. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm a free, I'm going to do what I want when I want, <laughs> bitch, you know, but it was more like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't an opposition. It was just like a statement of like, I'm a free man. And I do what I want when I want. And I said it a couple of times to really, you know, felt it in an embodied way. And then he asked the woman, he's like, how did that feel? And she was like, I'm turned on. And I was like, whoa, really? Okay. Oh, now I get it. Like women don't want men they can control. 
and I can do what I want when I want. Now, the, the choices that I make are going to have consequences. So if I go out and fuck another woman, there's going to be consequences to that. Mm-hmm. She's going to have feelings. She may leave. Okay. But the thing is, but I have to give myself the freedom like to make that choice. I'm not going to not do it because I'm going to be a good boy for her. That's not a, that's not a sexy for her. She doesn't want that. Yeah, she wants you to show up every day and commit to her and 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 be in your freedom and and lead in that way. And that's the place that she's going to really surrender to to that that leadership and that, you know, well, yeah, I'm an authority. Like there isn't a kind of authority. Yeah. I know that's a loaded word. No, but I think there's like there's there's a there is a turn on like women this is going to be pretty edgy, but like in some regard, they kind of like to be told what to do. Of course. If it comes from a place that's like from the heart and from truth, right? Because we have that ability to cut like clarity, especially because there's, they can have that chaos of beauty of like yeah. so much expansion and creation and we can just come in with like, yeah. right? And so one of the things that, yeah, men get so, here, there's two things that I was thinking of here. One is like, women fall in love with us because of our freedom and then when we get into relationship we make ourselves we we shackle ourselves oftentimes yeah. because we think we have to follow this these rules or protocols which is like the opposite of like what you're saying but this is but the the things that they fell in love like and were attracted to and turned on by were the ways that we could be fully free and self-expressed when we were these single men yeah. and then we kind of clamp down on that yeah. but it's actually like it's it's the opposite. It's yeah. like how do we act free within the context of a relationship? And of course, that takes takes negotiation and it takes a lot of repair. I always say to, to men that I work with, like just consider your life as one long failure and recommitment because that's all you're right. Doing. Whether right. it's business or relationship, it's like yeah, just prepare that you're going to be failing because men want to win, right? And we want we want the perfect scorecard and we want like the you know. 30 wins and no losses. And, and that's how the world has been kind of presented to us in a lot of ways. It's just like, it's the same in entrepreneurship. It's like you hear the story of the guy with 12 fail, failed businesses and then the 13th hit it big. And, yeah. You know, the relationship breakdowns over and over again. And of course that's not what the world sees, especially with social media. But this piece around comes back to that thing. It's like men want freedom, right? And women want to feel us, our freedom because it frees them. Yeah. Right? Like they want it, they get freedom by proxy and we can free them through our freedom because when you're clear, when you have a lot of clarity in your life, you're free because it's just like boom, 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 making choices. And when you can offer that to somebody else, whether it's a woman or anyone in that kind of feminine energy or confusion and you can just cut through with that consciousness and that clarity, it's like super expansive for them. It's super opening and it's trustable. It's trustable. It's really trustable. And, and when you can build that level of trust in a relationship, I think that gives you the capacity to do whatever you want. And that's something I've been learning because, because I've had, I had a similar dynamic. It's like caretaking, right. With my, my mom growing up just emotionally and all this kind of stuff. It was just hard to manage. And I was like, this is a lot of responsibility for a kid. So when you get into relationship, of course you, you recreate that pattern. It's like, I have to be, I have to be a good boy or else I'm going to get in trouble and I better not stay out too late. And I better, you know what I mean? And all (laughs) these weird little things that I'm showing like, man. And then what happens is we we're in my experiences it's really i'm resenting myself for not having mm. the balls to like be that free to say i'm going to do what i want what i want but we end up obviously projecting that on our partners yeah. right and that's where a lot of guys have this breakdown where it's like oh i can't be free in relationship yeah you know 
Yeah, and you have to be willing to upset her. Yes. <laughs> you know, she's not always going to like it, but yeah. like in the short term or you can't placate to her emotional issues, right? It doesn't mean don't be sensitive. It doesn't mean don't be present. Don't attune. But at the end of the day, like if, if she has abandonment issues, yes, and you're in a relationship with her and you're committed to that relationship, you, you, you have to work with that. Yep. But you can't give yourself away because of that, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you have to, you have to stay true to yourself because you know, the, the, the code that I try to live by in, in my life in general, and I don't do it perfectly. And in my relationship is like, don't, I don't betray myself. I'm not going to betray myself. And I don't want my lady to betray herself either. I don't want her to do anything she doesn't want to do. And I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. And so it's like, like, can we both be in that commitment? Because I know that if I do something for her that I don't really want to do, or I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to make the choice. Like, it's not like I want to do everything. Of course. But it's like, okay, I actually do want to do this because this is important to her and it's meaningful for her. And so I'm going to make that choice. So that's not really a self-betrayal. But it's like when I say yes because out of obligation or I feel like I'm being the good boy or, or she's going to get upset if I say no. That's, I think, when you run into problems. So... And you just end up resenting. And and I know that's almost always the case for me. Uh, a lot of our, I mean, we don't fight about it, but a lot of the the instances that we have early on specifically are, were about that, where I I did things that I didn't want to do. And uh, um, she was like a little insecure and I would play into it. Like I, would, like I didn't want her to be upset. I didn't want her to be mad at me. I didn't want her to, and that was not, healthy for anybody and and eventually like we got there and it was there were hard conversations there were hard fights where I was confronted her and she confronted me and and it's hard work relationships it's and it's painful I get it like people this guy you're talking about I don't want to get in a relationship Mm -hmm. because I don't want to do the work I get it it's fucking painful it's going to take you to your deepest shit and it's going to humble you and, but I think that that's, I don't know, man, I think that's where it's all at. And I'm glad I finally got there, you know, at, uh, at my age that I'm in a good, what feels like to me, like a very good, healthy relationship. And I see the value in it. And I see the, the, the perfection in the, in the kind of masculine feminine dynamic, which we really have. And that took some time to, to develop because again, I grew up you know, at the height of feminism. And I went to University of Toronto. I started in 88. It was like, that was just like, feminism was like full steam ahead. And and that, you know, there's been waves of it. And so I was, I didn't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds good to me, you know? Okay. So don't open the car door. Don't hold the, you know, men and women are the same 50, 50 on a date. Okay. There was some part of me that was like, "Eh, it doesn't seem right. But I was young and I, I went along with it. And now I see that, that all that is complete bullshit. And Alexander uh, Ajak, Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez, he's, he's a great follow. He said feminism was one big shit test that men failed. <laughs> and I think that's, there's some truth in that, you know, um, because 
a lot of women, I've dated some feminists back in the day who were ardent. And uh, once I started to bring a little bit, eh, no, they, they, they wanted to be treated like a lady. Of course they Of did. course. And, and, but, so I think there's a lot of confusion out there around that because it felt wrong for me. Like I felt shame about wanting to be in a more traditional relationship, which was I'm going to be the provider. I want her to basically stay at home and, and, and take care of the kids. If she wants to work, she can work. I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I actually do most of the cooking because I like to cook. And so it's not like I'm not super traditional in that way, but there's a there's a kind of a vibe where it's like, and I feel it like, well, no, I'm the provider and that's just my job. And it, there's a freedom in that. There's a simplicity in that. And it creates, I don't know, it does something to the relationship that I, which I know, you know, people out there listening, it's like, yeah, of course, that's, you know, my, my parents grew up like that. That's very common. But I felt shame about it based on uh, uh, and what I'd grown up with. And my mother was very, you know, she, she worked and, 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 and was very active. Um, and and my, my fiancé is, I mean, she fucking works, she's always working. Um, but taking the, the, uh, the pressure off her to earn, mm-hmm. it, it's a whole other thing. And what happens is the, the love and affection that comes at me, the nurturing that I get, where she can just actually relax and doesn't have to worry about that. And I, I carry that. It's like, I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm into it. I, I think it's, it's like the yin and yang, the masculine. It's like, it's like there's God there. And uh, I understand there's politics and I understand there's a history and the patriarchy. Okay. But it's, it's <laughs> like, you know, the pendulum has to swing yeah, to the exactly. other side before it finds that balance. Right. And there's a lot of, there is some, I think, early stages of feminism brought a lot of necessary things for women, but now it's become kind of this circus of, you know, we could go on about that. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Every, anybody yeah, there's a lot, this, well, listen, there's a lot of women angry at their fucking fathers, which is yeah. <laughs> fair enough. And it gets projected totally. out, right? And, and so, fair enough. Yeah. And there's a lot of men who... Yeah, also didn't have their fathers and are, are kind of, they don't know how to stand up to a woman. And so it's like, it's created this, you know, um, dynamic where there's no, there's no tension, there's no polarity. And because uh, just people don't know. Well, I feel for women that feel like they are in a relationship and they're trying to, society's telling them to be like high earner, boss bitch, yeah. and then come home and be nurturing mother. And it's like, those two are com- in complete conflict with each other. Yeah. To have the agility to go from one to the other is is challenging. It's just like when, it, it could be the same on the other side, where like when I'm super fired up about my mission and what I'm doing in the world, and then I come home and I have to be like soft, sensitive, like it's hard, it's a hard transition. Yeah. I, there's actually a teacher, are you familiar with uh, Alison Armstrong? You ever heard of any of her work? I've heard that name. Yeah, so she does work with men and women, but she's written a number of books uh, for women about men. And she understands men, personally, I I think. She understands men in a way that, like, I've never heard a woman contextualize. Yeah, and she talks about, like, you know, she uses kind of hunter, we're the hunter, gather, they're the gatherers kind of analogies, but she talks about this time... when a man is really focused on, on doing his work in the world, that he actually needs that transition time before he can interact with a woman in the way that a woman would 
like to be interacted with, yes. you know, with, with, with a little bit more of like, yes, strong, but also gentle and accommodating and like present and there for them. But to go from like the battlefield or like from the war and then like, you know, drive up the driveway and walk through the door and be daddy and be all that kind of stuff is, is a really, it's abrasive. Yeah. Just like a woman coming and and running some fortune 500 and then coming home and having to cook. It's just like, it's not, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know? And so we've, we've, by trying to be everything for, for all the roles and share everything and whether it's 50, 50 or whatever, it ends up kind of just muddling the beauty of celebrating our differences as yes. women because we do have differences. It's pretty clear that we have biological differences <laughs> despite what people are saying these days. You know, you put a man in a woman's sport, there's some biological differences. Yeah. He tends to dominate yeah. them. We've, we're finding that out. So the experiment is, is continuing on and we'll see yeah. where it goes. But there's this idea of, yeah, I mean, I also have felt that like even growing up in what I would, growing up in Canada, but then also growing up in like a super leftist, kind of yeah. progressive household um, of deconstructing some of these ideas. And as I grew older, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. Like the, that's not the, it's what culture is saying, but it's like not society, how the world works, but it's also just it's not, not the experience that I have with women. Right. Yes. Like for the most part, like, yeah, we hear it. It's really loud. And I'm not saying that there are women like that, but generally the kind of women that I seem to attract don't want that kind of stuff. They want to be, taken care of and I think from a biological level from 200,000 years of evolution there is a deep like part of men that not only want to provide but kind of need to provide well, otherwise what you have no what job what do? am I here for <laughs> exactly I can't birth I well can't that's do anything, that's you know? the distortion that yeah. like you know the feminists or the progressives or don't understand it's like oh it's a man's world it's like bitch I'm working for you yeah like I'm, this is, if I'm not working for you, I, there's no reason for me to do anything. Yeah. Like I'm here to earn, to create safety, to build a house for you. And when I don't have that motivation, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of lazy. You're useless. Yeah. I'm and, kinda, I, and I think, you know, I was talking about this yesterday. It's like a lot of men are, are in that, this crisis of masculinity where men feel useless. Yeah. Men are living at home. I think I read a statistic. It was like 40% of men live at, still live at home at 29, right? Like. Uh, soup. They don't feel like they have any use, and they've kind of been lambasted with that. Like you are useful, useless. Know. You know, we don't really need you. The future is feminine. Like what? What good the are the end men? of men? Yeah, like all oh, women can do everything a man can do. It's like great. Is that making society better? Is like is that no. improving things? Yeah, it's it's insanity. Well, that's and that's why you have Andrew Tate. You know what I mean? And like, I wanted to. It's it's funny, the, I was going to transition into this because that's yeah. the that's the polarity. Like it had to happen. Yeah, the guy who comes, you know, is the exact opposite of all that, holding this other pole and coming strong with it. And I think that's one of the reasons that he's so popular. He's just unabashed in in how he thinks about things, and it gave a lot of men uh, permission to 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 say how they felt or the, he was saying how they felt, you know, it may be in an extreme way, but he was getting at something. And I think that's one of the reasons that he's, he's been resonating with people. Well, I want to ask about some, a little bit about Andrew Tate and your conversations with him when you sat, because you flew to Romania, right. And you had a conversation with him in person and interviewed him. Did, does he feel, I mean, aside from everything happening in his life, does he feel free? Like, does he free, feel free in himself? 
Andrew, I mean, he's living his dharma. Like, that's the vibe I got. Like, he's locked in. He's the most charismatic human being I've ever met. Yeah. Like, there's there's something coming off him. He's, he's like... And I've met a lot of fucking movie stars in Hollywood, but that dude is... There's something going on. Like, he's the real thing. Like, his intelligence is overwhelming. Like, when he starts talking, you, you, you almost can't believe, like the way he's formulating sentences, the ideas that he's had, that he has, and the way he's articulating it perfectly. He's so convincing. Now, there's a trick to it. And as I talked about in the in the interview, it's like you're rationalizing everything. Like you, mm-hmm. it's, you have a- Hyper-masculine. A, yeah, you've got, a, you've got a thought pattern that you've mastered and, and it works for you, but there's other, you know, there's other things. And, um, and you know, he, he, I think, admitted that there's aspects of himself that, you know, he's not aware of, that he has a hard time getting presence, getting present, and that that is about something. And so he, I found him to be, his willingness to be vulnerable in his way, and I found him to be very honest. And uh, I feel like he's got a big heart. Is he free? Um, he's, you know, he's all he's free in the sense that he's fully committed. Mm-hmm. He's 100% committed to the thing that he's doing and people can debate, you know, what it is that he's doing and, and why he's doing, but he is fully committed. And I think that is inspiring. Um, even if you think it's distorted, even if you think he's acting out in some way, that dude is all in and it's real. It's not a fucking show. That guy's like, what he says, like he, he talks the walk. Is that what it says? No, he walks, he walks the talk. The talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he lives it. And, uh, and I, I felt that, um, at least, you know, in terms of his work ethic and, and, and how he shows up and his loyalty and his relationship with his brother, like there's really something special going on. And, and it's, it's not just, it's not, a, it's, is there a facade? Well, yeah, there's a facade. We all have a well, facade. At some level, he's a marketer. And he, yeah, and yeah. he's calculated and he knows what he's of doing. Course. You know, but he, Very he's also calculated. enigmatic. Like, it's hard, even as a guy, like, I don't really resonate with his message, but there is so much. It's like anything. You know, there's a million conspiracy theories, and a lot of them are going to be true just because there's so much. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah, yeah, they're bound to be true. If you speak enough about enough topics, you're going to be right about a lot of things. Yeah. And of course, I think he's refined his message over the years, but I don't find anything particularly, maybe in his early stuff, but but like particularly offensive. I also understand the game that he's playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I, I think he, he grew his, Notoriety in a very calculated way by saying things that are gonna. Well, that's the game. It's man. polarizing, right? But yeah. then, but then, when you really look at like, okay, what is he actually saying, and what kind of values is he living by, and we'll see how this whole, you know, criminal investigation yeah. turns out. But he seems to, like you said, he seems to be able to articulate. He's come at a time in the world where he's able to articulate things that men are feeling that they can't articulate himself. Yeah. He's a master of the word. Yeah. And, and he speaks with such conviction that it's like, yeah, like, yeah, that's so true. There's a, there is a energetic uh, resonance. There's a vibration. It's almost like a spiritual teacher. In some I, no, I, I think he's, Listen, man, in the first interview, you know, I asked him about his spirituality and he's, he talked about 
his experience with violence. It's like, you want to understand spirituality? Like, go down to the gym, fucking get your ass handed to you, or get somebody's, you know, they have their... Uh, their armor on your throat, they're trying to mm-hmm. choke you out, that you're going to know God. You're going to know spirituality. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's not stupid. He's not shallow, right? Like, and I think his worldview is, um, uh, and his spiritual worldview is extremely refined. Um, like, his take on the fucking Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview, I think that was the best take out there like what he wrote and i you know i get his emails he's i mean he's a genius and so uh he's a marketer and you could say on some level everybody in in the world we living that we're living in is a we're kind of um we have to play a character we're all performance artists in some way we have this virtual uh image that we have to play with and that's there's just no way around that. And he's kind of mastered that game, but there's, there's something else going on with him. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of criticism and, you know, all the stuff that he's up, the charges. I I don't know about that. Um, I'm suspicious of it, but, but maybe like if he did it, then he's going to have to pay the price. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know. I like him. I think he's fucking funny. And I'm glad he's here. Like, I, I'm just glad that character exists and he's out there saying the things he's saying and he's doing the things that he's doing. And I have a feeling he's going to be around for a long time and I have a feeling he's going to evolve. Um, and like I said, I sat across from a couple of times now and at the end of those conversations, he, I felt like I loved him. And he, he, he was very deferential to me. He was very humble with me. You know, he wasn't egotistical. He was very gracious and in those conversations and, and I, I, that's what I saw and that's what I appreciated. And so I got nothing bad to say about that guy. He certainly adds some color to the, the palette, yeah. palette of experience. Of course. It's I like good the- to have that voice in there just because of the other, like, you know what I mean? It, it seems to add some sort of balance to the conversation of, and the evolution of where culture and gender dynamics and men and women and how yeah. they kind of all fit into this big mix. So it's like, Sure, throw that in the pot, right? And like, I always say, like, if you resonate with some things that someone is saying and not with others, like, take what resonates yeah. and leave the rest. Yeah. People get so hooked into like, well, but then in nine years ago, he said, let's just, and then that's going to happen with anyone that leaves, that reaches any level of, like, especially that big, right? But like, any level of notoriety is there's going to be easy things to pull and pick. And well, you know. and when you're a young guy, you, t- you guys talk a lot of shit, then you oh. say a lot of crazy shit. And when shit. you record all of it and like, yeah, you're doing it every day, of, there's going to be some. Of course. And you shit. want things to be provocative because that's how you get attention. And, you know, what do they, what do they say? It's like, uh, uh, controversy is attention. Attention is influence. That's that's the game that you have to play. If you really, if you really want to be successful online, um, I mean, that's the game that Trump plays. Obviously, he's very, very good at it. He's, con- you know, these controversial things that he says that blow up. I mean, that's by design, man, because it's like everybody's talking about Trump. <laughs> it's like, it's wild. you know, and people are like, oh, I can't believe he said that. He really went off script. It's like, dude, you, you don't think <laughs> this is motherfucker <laughs> is playing you? Yeah. Like, he's, you're talking about him constantly you yeah. don't think that's by design yeah you haven't figured out that he's smarter than you the same with putin these guys and the same with andrew like they're very very smart and you know it goes back to what we were talking about it's the ability to hold the transference right 
um, to understand. It's like it's you, an incredible it, to be able to hold that, hold like that kind of hatred that much. You know, I I, I was thinking of this earlier because I was going to ask you about just the tabloids and Hollywood and stuff. And people receive a lot of energy, right? Yeah. You can look at like look at the whole thing with I don't know if you've heard about this whole conspiracy around Taylor Swift and like of this. course yeah. yeah and then all this other stuff yeah. that's going on right now and just I had a very small blip of pretty extreme online like trying to cancel me trying to destroy my credibility about half a million the guy with half a million followers just total libel just totally like ran my name through the mud wow and I got like thousands and thousands of people just like wanting, like hating me and like just projecting and like saying all this stuff. It was total bullshit. None of it was true. Um, but it was like confronting for me. I was like, Whoa, this is intense. Cause I've always been, I'm a pretty, I, I, I got pretty thick skin, you know, yeah. I've done a lot of hard shit in my life and been around some really rough people. Yeah. And been in, but this was like on a whole other level. I'm like, wow, I'm receiving a, like a lot of hatred right now. And it got to me and it wasn't so much, it was more like the anger of someone just lying about me that bothered me. It wasn't like the words and the things people were saying. I was like, whatever, I don't, I don't fucking know these people. But it had me thinking like, God, the amount that Trump or Tate or some of these big people, like that level of projection to hold that, even if they're not reading the comments or seeing it, just the energetic of like thousands and hundreds of thousands of millions of people putting that on you. I don't think people understand how much that is to hold. Dude, it, it, this is, I'm in awe of those guys for that reason. I could not hold that level of mm -hmm. negative transference. I, I mean, it's okay. I do my workshops, you know, it, it, whatever. They're, they're not it's six people, 20 people, maybe 30 people. It's like, okay, I can handle it. But you have the whole world coming at you and it's deliberate campaigns designed. There are think tanks designing things to lie about you and they're going to spread misinformation and try to tarnish your image, take you out, put you in jail. Yeah, I know. They're going to yeah. fucking try to put you in jail, put you away. I, I mean, and then when I see Trump and he just rolls up to the mic, he's like cracking jokes, having a good time. Like, it just like doesn't even phase him. And it's the same with Tate. And I, I grilled him on that. It doesn't, it doesn't bother you. He's like, no. And I, I actually believed him. Like there was, he's just like, there's some place where he's figured something out and he does not let it get to him. And, and it seems like the same with Trump. And, you know, I, I also marveled at Obama for the same reason. Cause he was not just the, the, the negative transference that he got, cause he got a lot of that, but also he, I thought he handled reasonably well, the positive transference. Like I, I felt like he, I saw him understand that he represented something to people and that he didn't quite buy into it all the way. And I, I respected that. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I saw. So these, yeah, these people who hold that, uh, I mean, it's incredible. And I don't think people appreciate the kind of, uh, I don't know, skill, uh, the wherewithal, the the internal uh, sense of self that it takes to be able to handle that kind of onslaught. Because I've experienced what you've experienced, you know, many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's fucking not easy. I'm getting better at it, like online, you know, and people are saying shit and uh, just outright lies about you. You know, I have a whole <laughs> email uh, category, just like hate emails, like, um, 
you know, also because I was, uh, you know, Gilmore Girls and this beloved show. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I lean to the right. And I interviewed Andrew Tate. I voted for Trump twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, people, they think I'm a Nazi. And it, it comes at me. And uh, it's scary. You know, it's scary. And, but it is an opportunity to to hold on to yourself. You know, and in some sense, it's like it's, it is a psychic attack. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can hold on to my own goodness, if I know who I am in the face of like all these people coming at me. And that's what I realized the first time it happened to me hardcore on Twitter. I just doubled down on the thing that I sort of said. Seems like it's about like... And they all went away. Yeah, there's a level of like conviction. Yeah. Right? And if you can if you can live with that level of conviction, then it's... And, and, and really believe in what yeah. you're doing and what you're saying. And like, no, this is just it. Then it tends to kind of... Yeah, people can't because once they get the chink in the armor, that's when they run with thing. And that's the mistake that I made. I was like, Oh, really? And I slapped back and then yeah. I was like, Oh, now I made a big mess. And so yeah. I learned from that experience. It's like, who the fuck cares? You know, yeah. the bigger game you play, the more people are gonna come after you. That's the nature of the game, right? Just as much as people are gonna support you. And generally it's a very small subs like Ten percent, maybe even less, of those people are coming after you than yeah. versus the people that are going to support you. But it was it was a huge initiation. But what it, what I really would learn from that was like, I'll be very very particular about how I'm judging, projecting, leaving negativity towards <laughs> other people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I don't know the whole story. Yeah. Because it's very easy to get into that mob mentality of like, yes. wow, this information came out, whether it's like on the right or the left or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm just a lot more aware of like, because yeah, the, the way this guy spun this story, it could be very believable. And th- hundreds of thousands of people believed it about me and they had no fucking clue who I was. And they just went right to like pitchforks. Yeah. I was like, interesting. Like that's all it takes, right? Someone could spin a story and just like, that's it. So I'm very, it made me much more aware of like, hmm, what are the stories that I'm allowing to, myself to get spun into? That's right. And like the the projections that I'm making because of it. When I don't know actual anything about yeah. this topic yeah. or this experience. Yeah, that, that that's it. And that's the world we live in now. Uh, we're waiting to get triggered. We want it. Yeah, it was like we're fucking yeah. addicted to it. We're like, I'm oh addi- my God, I'm, feed yeah. me. Twitter is, yeah, I have to have, I mean, I have boundaries. I can't just free for all on Twitter. I, I cannot just have my phone. Like I have to have like different, you know, I have Freedom app and Opal app. The, I have the whole fuck. I have, I have a Opal system. As well, I need it. Yeah. Because I can't, I'm, I'm a slave to it, man. I, I get, I get hooked in. Yeah, it's, hooked. It's crazy how powerful that stuff is, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know um, where this is all headed. But I love what you're saying about these stories. Like we have to be really careful about the stories that we that we buy into, and and it's one of the things I talk about in my work all the time with my clients, and and I think about all the time for myself is like, you know, just be careful of the story. Like don't get caught up in in the story that even the story that you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Right about yourself, about the about the world. Um, like, can you come into that place that's underneath that? Because the story is just a construct, right? It's just a representation of of reality, and it's usually an expression of emotion, right? And it's like I have an emotion, I have some feeling, I have some resentment, I have some anger, or I feel defensive, or I'm afraid. And now a story comes along and I'm going to project it all onto that story. Like, you know, the world is a scary place. Oh, here's Trump. Here's Putin. Here's whoever. And that's the bad guy. And now I have an enemy. Now I have a focus for that. 
and um, you're not in reality, right? Nobody's perfectly good. Nobody's perfectly bad. Uh, there's a system at play that is bigger than anything that you are also participating in. And the way to get freedom, the way to crack the matrix is just to not buy into the stories, to stay centered inside yourself and just be in the, I don't know, you have to find God, whatever that is for you. Um, that's what I've realized. That's That's been the beauty of this time, which feels like insanity, like what's happening. Do you feel like the world is like a darker place? Like you're a little older than me. Like yeah, no, this, is, no, it's, this is fucking crazy. Doesn't it feel crazy? Yeah, no, it's this is this is crazy. It's, it was not like this. I grew up in the eighties, man. Yeah. It was like chill. Everything was fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, people were screaming and yelling about certain things, and it's not, you know, when you look at patterns of history and the fourth turning and the right. rise and fall of the great powers, and you know, there's a there's a, a book that I that I love to talk about um, called uh, the Lucifer Principle. Hmm. It talks about the uh, evil being a evolutionary force, a necessary evolutionary force, so it it serves a function. And so that's really where I've gotten to. It's like we go in these cycles and yeah, we have to go through the darkness and, and we're going through that now um, and things are going to be revealed and it's going to be painful and there's going to be war some kind of, I think, civil war here in the United... I mean, we're in a civil war. It's full-on warfare. I mean, they're trying to put the, you know, the, the political opposition, they're trying to put them in fucking jail right now. Did you see the the Instagram post from Biden this morning? That, dude, that was fuck with the eyes? <laughs> yeah, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> I buddy, mean, yeah. it's demonic. It looks demonic. Yeah. And then the fucking picture of him in front of the fucking White House with the red and he's like screaming. I mean. And it says something like just as we had planned. Or yeah. Something like about that. the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a troll, I guess. But who the fuck knows, man? That I mean, it's all, is it all a simulation? I don't know. Oh, man. A lot of it, I think, is rigged. I, is a Super Bowl rigged? I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. I don't care, Travis, Kelsey. <laughs> but it is, I mean, what people are picking up on in that story is it is, whether it's they're a real couple or not, it's yeah. all... Yeah, George I, Soros and the catalog and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, who it does? It, it is being exploited. It is being used. Yeah. I mean, and oh, I, underst- sure. I yeah. understand that the old school NFL fan... It's like, I don't want to see fucking Taylor Swift <laughs> cutting to her every two minutes. Fuck that. Just show me the fucking game. It's like, no, but not the girls like it. You know, that's what it is. Yeah. And I get that. I get, I'm get. i kind of a sports fan like that. When there's like a female commentator, I'm sorry, ladies. I don't want a woman talking about sports. It's like, no, but she played in the Canadian national team. I don't care. I don't care. I want dudes. I'm not going to apologize for that. I want just dudes calling the game. Yeah. Um, you know, if that makes me a misogynist, I'll, I'll, I'll take the hit. That's what I like. That's what I want. <laughs> All for the clout. Yeah. Well, this has been fun, David. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, yeah, maybe just let people know about what you do, how they can connect with you, how they can follow you, and, and yeah. talk a little bit about that. Um, DavidSuckliff.com. It's all there. Uh, I'm on. Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Suckliff 33. And uh, yeah, what am I doing? I'm. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm actually in a phase where I'm doing a lot of writing. So I've just opened up a Substack. I'm just. I'm just in nice a. Dude. I'm just trying to 
conceptualize all these ideas, things that I that I know that I've written about a little bit, but I'm kind of in that that point in my life where it's like, okay, you I'm want gonna, a book or anything like that, or what do you think? Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm gonna spend some time just writing blog posts about different things that come up. I've been making videos, you know, a lot of videos for Instagram, like kind of explaining some of the concepts. Um, but I want to expand that and allow that to go deeper and kind of longer form. So I have a feeling if I keep writing, eventually it'll turn into a book. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, you, I mean, maybe you feel this way, but, you know, you, you learn all of these things. And then I've gotten to this point in my life where, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not in my conqueror years anymore. Like I, I, so it's like, well, I want to take all that knowledge and kind of put it together and some kind of way just 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 for me to make sense of it like to to structure it to order it so something really magical that happens when you kind of start to write things out too and your knowledge and experience and stuff that seems to put it in this linear fashion that yeah that actually when you speak about it again it comes in a much more refined way i had that experience with somebody who's a very good facilitator um and then he went off and wrote two books. And then I saw him a couple of years later and he came back and he was facilitating. I mean, he was, it was like, he was a whole other level. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fucking believe it. I was mm-hmm. like, dude, what the fuck, man? And he was 60 at the time, but he just like, he, he was at, I was like, dude, you're 60, you're peaking now. And he's probably not even at his peak yet, but it was, I think the writing of the books. And I asked him about it which uh, clarified all that information. So it was clear in his mind that allowed him this precision mm-hmm. in the things that he said and, and, and how he facilitated. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm up to. So, you know, yeah, just, you know, I'm out there and I, I always have offerings and you know, work on your website. You're doing the men's stuff. You're yeah. Doing this group with Monsell. Yeah. I got this thing into. with Monsell nine month men's container, which is, which is, I'm really excited Super about. Excited. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm curious about that. Cause I would love to, to yeah. love that fusion. I'm a big outdoor primitive skills guy. So, uh, you know, I do a lot of stuff with more ancestral, like making, uh, bow drill fires and building shelters and do building like yeah. clay pots out of nothing and all this kind of shit. That's awesome. So I'm trying to weave those worlds with the men's work because I think it's so good to get guys into nature, get them connected with their body, get them connected with, you know, taking a, taking an animal is a pretty intense and sacred act. And I know he kind of fuses some medicine journeys in there as well too. So that whole kind of panacea is really, really powerful work. I've, I've known about him for a while and I haven't had the chance to do any work with him yet, but super cool that you're doing that, man. Yeah. Monsel's Monsel's great. The hunting is great. And uh, yeah, the Nate, I think nature is, is key. I mean, it's the, it's the, the great teacher, man. It's the great teacher. And I understand men, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't want to go to therapy. That's the meme, right? Men don't yeah. want to go to therapy. Uh, and fair enough. Why would they, um, hmm. considering, you know, a lot of, uh, therapists are women and, and, and they don't, they're not having these conversations. There's a different experience. You know, I've been thinking about this recently. It's, there's something about having gone to therapy myself and, and gotten something out of it, but there's something that it doesn't do, I think, particularly for men. And there's something about men I find because of, I don't know, the shame and the like not good enough and stuff that actually when you, 
I find group work to be much more powerful for me yeah. in particular when yeah. they can like share the shit that they never want to share with anyone and then be witnessed and seen in it by other men who also share their shit and you realize like, oh, I'm not so fucked up as I thought I was because yeah. this guy's just, that guy's way more fucked up than me or whatever it is. That seems to be for me more therapeutic than like the one-on-one and it depends on the therapy of course and there's a lot of different ways but I've had that experience uh, myself. It just seems to be yeah, there's something about the group dynamic for men in particular because my partner, she goes to therapy and it's like, wow, fucking, she loves it. She's getting so much out of it. Yeah. It's really making these huge shifts. And I saw a, a, a similar therapist and I was like, yeah, like this is helpful. I'm getting some understanding to myself, but it's not really moving the dial like some of the other stuff that I've done. Um, so I don't know if you, if that's something that you... I totally agree. Group. Once I discovered group work, that was it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I continued on with my therapy. Well, I had to, you know, because of the training program that I yep. was in. But uh, uh, yeah, group, just to be witnessed, exactly what you said. And well, also, you see that you're not alone. That, that's you know, the people big start piece. sharing. You're like, oh, I got that. I got that. Oh, fuck. Because mostly guys think they're they're alone with their with their shame or with these feelings, whatever it is. And 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 once you realize that, there's a there's a huge relief. And I think men need to be together. Like uh, there is something, you know, we, we function best when we're in, in tribes and, and, and hierarchies, it, it, you know, what you can have a judgment about that, but that's just, I think where most men are comfortable and, mm-hmm. um, it's ancient, man. It's, just, it's, ancient. it's yeah. ancient. Yeah. And so we, we don't, we have to, and I guess part of what, you know, you're doing with the 13 pines mm-hmm. and, Sacred Sons and, and others is you, you, you it, Monsel recreating that in, in some way because it doesn't really exist anymore because women are now in the workforce because back in the day you'd go to work and just be working a bunch of dudes working be together like 12 out there with your dad you know yeah, <laughs> exactly and and it's, it's good I'm not saying you know women <laughs> yeah, totally. shouldn't be in the workforce but it but something got lost for men there and um, so it's being recreated so yeah if you're a dude like you should definitely you have to. I mean, I think it's mandatory. Like, I don't think you can live in the world right now and not be involved in some kind of men's thing. And there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll find the the right thing for you. Um, but it's all available, and I think it's really important. And uh, yeah, I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad. I'm glad that you know, because I know the guys that you're working with. Uh, that's a good group of men and um, like, yeah, Monsel's great. And, you know, I'm still doing my thing, but I'm sort of, you know, I'm in a different uh, place in it, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue to be engaged with men and m- more from the, the kind of elder place. And, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's the world needs men, man. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, listen, it's men who are going to save the world. That's how it always is going. That's how it's gone. So <laughs> that you know, it's and it's gonna it's going to happen again. And so uh yeah, get your asses in shape, uh, get yourself <laughs> in line. There's there's going you're going to have a mission real fucking Whether soon. Whether you want it or not. That's right. Yeah, yeah. War is coming. <laughs> well, let's leave it on that note, yeah. man. That positive note. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, anyone listening or watching to this, yeah, absolutely get in touch with, with David's work. Check out his Instagram. There's lots of great stuff on their website, you know, and uh, yeah, brother, just thanks for being here and thanks for being a brother on the path. Thank you. All right, man. Appreciate it. Wow. What a banger that was with David. You just made it through another episode of Undomesticate. If you're enjoying this, 
please go ahead and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you made it this far, almost two hours of your life, you probably liked it. So help me out. Let me know what you think of this podcast. And uh, every review helps, man. I read every one, even if it's a bad one. But uh, don't leave a bad one. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Undomesticate. And as always, stay sovereign.